As you've likely gathered, we're beginning a new worship series today called The Worth of Worship. And in this new series for four weeks, we're going to be exploring the value of worship in our lives and how we're not only to live that out together, but how we live that out in our own uh, daily routines and how we can experience worship anytime, anywhere. Now, before I get into the series too much, I just want to let you know that you probably heard that Summer arrived here in Seattle today usually does right around July the 4th. And so a lot of us are going to be on vacation or traveling or doing other things during the summer months or maybe even into the early fall. And so we have a need in our congregation for those of you that would like to greet and welcome people on a Sunday morning. If you would be willing to do that once or twice during the summer, we would love to have you do that. There's a sign-up sheet in the back to help us out with that. So while people are coming and going, we always can make sure we have people here ready to welcome those who are coming and going from this place every single Sunday. Also wanted to let you know, we don't have the slide up this morning, but there is a memorial service coming up on July 11th for Ivan L. Foreman. And that's gonna be at 11 a.m. on July 11th. And we also have some sign-up sheets in the back if you can help with cookies or anything like that for the memorial service. We'll have an announcement up this week and something out in the newsletter as we celebrate Ivan L.'s life together as a congregation. As I mentioned a moment ago, our series called The Worth of Worship is going to explore what worship is and how we do it together as a community and how we live it out in our daily lives. And, and Christian worship for centuries has followed a, a pattern of four different movements. It's called the fourfold pattern of worship. The first is gather, and that's when we are called to come together as God's people. The second part of worship is proclaim, and that's where the word of God is preached, the message of Jesus is brought forth. The third part is response, and that is when we've heard the word proclaimed, now what do we do about it? How do we change our lives? What kind of new commitments do we need to make? And then the fourth part is send, and that's how we are sent forth from this place into the world to be the disciples of Jesus, worshiping him wherever we live, work, and play. And so for these four weeks, we're going to be exploring each one of those four words, gather, proclaim, respond, and send, and we decided to use a really easy book from the Bible that everybody understands quite readily <laughs> called The Apocalypse of John, also known as the Book of Revelation. In Revelation, there are several passages of Scripture where there's a, a snapshot, if you will, of what heavenly worship looks like. And so during these four weeks, we're going to step into those snapshots and see what we can learn about how God's people gather, how they proclaim, how they respond, and how they're sent forth. And so I want us to focus today on that which worship is and how we gather together as God's people. One of my favorite professors in seminary was Ralph P. Martin. And Dr. Martin was an eminent New Testament scholar for years. I took no less than six classes with Ralph when I was at Fuller. And one of the classes I took with Ralph was the origins of Christian worship. And Ralph said this. We're going to put the quote up on the screen. There it is. To worship God 
is to ascribe supreme worth. To worship God is to ascribe supreme worth. It's to say that God is supreme over all, that there is no one else who compares to God, to lift up the very person and the name of Jesus Christ. As we gather as God's people, we gather to ascribe God supreme worth. There's four things I'd like to share with you today out of this passage from Revelation 1. Now, there's a lot in this passage I'm not going to talk about this morning. That's why there's a weekly podcast on this scripture, so you can listen to the podcast during the week before you come hear it on Sunday morning. So I encourage you to do that. You can find it in our app, the FFMC app. You can find the podcast there. You can also find it anywhere you would normally find a podcast. The name of it is Passages, and just look for my name and Passages, and you'll find it. And there's a different podcast every week. That's a Bible study that I do on the text that we're going to be preaching on on Sunday. This will be helpful to you over these four weeks. Trust me, nod your heads. This will be helpful to you over these four weeks. The first thing that I think we have to focus on when we talk about gathering is that we gather in struggle. You know, gathering together has been complicated for us. You know, before pandemic, we took gathering together somewhat for granted, did we not? And then all of a sudden, when gathering together was denied us due to the global pandemic and our desire to not communicate disease to one another, it changed the way we gathered. As a matter of fact, a little less than half of our congregation still gathers with us this day online. And we value that. Their presence is important to us. We hear from those who worship with us online often about how valuable it is to be able to gather virtually with the community that's here in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And the value of online worship, of course, is that folks can worship at any time with us whenever they decide they have the moment to be able to watch worship with us. But more than just that struggle, I think all of us acknowledge in many ways that before you arrived here this morning, there were six days and 23 hours that happened before you got here this morning. And the six days and 23 hours measures the last time we gathered together in this place for worship. Now, during those six days and 23 hours, there could have been some great moments of joy and happiness, elation, wonderful conversations, blessings in life, and there also may have been struggle, there may have been hardship, there may have been difficulty, there may have been diagnoses, there may have been money problems. We gather as people out of struggle. So typically when um, I'm leading worship, I try not to focus on how bad the week has been because you've already had six days and 23 hours of that experience. You know it well. So let's talk about how God works in our lives, even in the midst of all of those struggles. John, for his part, the writer of the book we read this morning, had a vision that he received on this island. We have a picture of it. Here it is. This is Patmos. I took that picture eight years ago. And Patmos is an island in the middle of the Aegean Sea, about 40 miles off the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. 
And this is where John was. There's a monastery built there. If you visit there, there's even a place where you can visit the cave where supposedly John had this revelation. I've walked into the cave and been to the place where all this has happened. It was a wonderful and powerful experience in my life visiting Patmos. Patmos was not a prison colony. It was no Alcatraz. But John was likely there as some form of punishment, that he had been active in the Christian community and he was either sent into exile or chose himself to go into exile here rather than an alternative form of punishment he likely would have faced. He writes in Revelation chapter 1 that he's on Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So it's clear that he's on Patmos because something has gone wrong, at least in the Roman world, but not in his. He's borne witness to the name of Jesus throughout the Roman world, and it's resulted with him finding his way onto the island of Patmos. At the end of the first century, there was a Roman emperor who was Caesar. His name was Domitian, and he unleashed a terrible persecution on the Christian community around the ancient world. Not only did he persecute the Christian community, but because they were an offshoot at that time, even still, of Judaism, the Jewish community was persecuted as well in the same way that Emperor Nero had persecuted them 20 years earlier. It's hard for us to imagine gathering here today as Americans in 2023 what it's like to live in a persecuted community because of our faith. And brothers and sisters, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world who live in exactly that condition. They live under oppression and secrecy, afraid to gather together at times because if the authorities were to find out, they could be imprisoned, their families could be imprisoned, or they could be murdered. Process that for just a minute. We are not part of American Christianity. That, my friends, is an oxymoron. We are part of Christianity, a global movement started by Jesus of Nazareth and his life, death, and resurrection. And there are people who speak languages not like us, who look not like us, that are under oppression today. So we give thanks for our freedom to gather in this place, but we remember fervently in our prayers those who suffered just like the Apostle John did 1,900 years ago. I'm thankful in the life of our church that we have welcomed those with needs. There's been times over the last year I've been with you, I've seen people come into the sanctuary who don't look like everyone who's here. And I'm so blessed to see many in the congregation who come and greet and engage and try to find some ways to build bridges with those who enter into our place that may not look and sound and be like us, but. I also wonder how our church will give space to people who are struggling and hiding. This morning we're going to teach you a hymn. I'm going to invite Scott to come on up, and Thelma as well. It's a contemporary hymn written by um, a Lutheran composer named Marty Hagen. The hymn called Gather Us In, and we're going to sing it throughout the sermon this morning and at the end of our Time together. And so what we're going to do, there's four verses, so we're going to sing the first verse now, and then we'll sing the second verse in a minute. 
But this time, we're going to sing the first verse through for you so you can hear the hymn. Listen to it, kind of get the melody, and then we're going to sing that first verse together again, and Scott and Thelma are going to lead us. So please. Here in this place, new light is streaming. How is the darkness vanished away? See in this space our fears and our dreamings brought here to you in the light of his Gather us in the lost and forsaken. Gather us in the blind and the lame. Call to us now and we shall Not only do we gather out of struggle, we gather from many places. A, a few weeks ago, I showed you this picture of the, these dots all moving together. And described how everyone in life has a spiritual velocity. In other words, they, they have a movement in their life that draws them to Jesus at the very center. And we come from all of these different points and we move to the middle somehow. We move to the very center that is Jesus Christ. And so even today, we recognize in the life of our own church, we're seeing an emergence of cultures and communities and commitments. And it's been refreshing to see that within the life of our congregation. Many of you have noted that we see more racial and cultural diversity within our worshiping community than we've seen in some time. And I think we give thanks to God for that diversity that we experience in our midst. But this is nothing new for the people called Methodists. Methodism has always sought out those who are kind of on the edges, those who have not always been invited to participate or to engage. When Methodism started with its founder John Wesley and his brother Charles, they gathered people in to the community of Christianity that had not had a pathway to enter it before. People who maybe visited the Church of England in a cathedral once a year or a particular wedding or a funeral, but had not had the very presence of Christ as a part of their life. And John and Charles reached out to these people at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution and drew them in, the poor and the working class of England, Ireland, and even Scotland, which eventually came here to the United States and gathered people in so that they could be part of community. The founder of our movement is this man, B.T. Roberts. And B.T. Roberts was a, a founder of this, not only the Free Methodist movement, but part of why we're called Free Methodist, as you know, is because he launched a movement that no Methodist church should charge a pew tax. In other words, 
you shouldn't have to pay to come to church. And what was happening in many churches is that the pew tax was being charged on every single pew. So if you couldn't pay the pew tax, guess what? You didn't get to worship. B.T. Roberts says that's unethical, unspiritual, that all of our churches should be free always, hence our name, Free Methodist. Beyond all that, he pioneered in a movement against the practice of slavery. He was an abolitionist. If you look at a map where Free Methodist churches are located today in the United States, you'll know they're oddly absent from the American South. Because when our movement started, the American South wanted nothing to do with free Methodism, nothing to do with abolitionists. We started in the middle of the Civil War. B.T. Roberts, the very last document he wrote in his career was a document calling for the full ordination of women in 1883. He died with his dream unrealized. You see, we've been a part of a movement of the church for a long time that pulls people from the, the fringes, the margins, from the edges. And when we become the church that Jesus calls us to be, that's the space we operate in. That's our best space. It says in Revelation 1 that this letter, in other words, this vision that John has written is in the form of a letter, was written to seven locations. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those seven. Each one of those unique in their context, unique in their culture. They all came from different places, all trying to move to Christ at the very center. Eight years ago, when I was able to go to Patmos, I was able to go to all seven of these places and to see them. Let me just tell you a story about Laodicea. Here's a picture of Laodicea today. Laodicea used to be the Wall Street of the ancient world. It was the center of banking and finance. And so if you wanted to do business in the Roman world and the Greek world before it, you would engage someone who lived in the city of Laodicea. Now, if you're standing in Laodicea, there's some mountains off to one side, and there are some rolling hills off to the other with some steam coming off of them. Those rolling hills to one side are a city in the ancient world called Hierapolis, which today is called Pamukkale, and it is a location where there's this uh, geothermal springs with hot water erupting out of them that are heavy in mineral content, so they form this kind of cascading terraced waterfalls filled with hot water boiling out of the earth. Resorts are built there. People come from all over Turkey so that they can bathe in the warm waters of Pamukkale. It's delightful. But there's some parts of Pamukkale, it's too hot. You cannot get in the water there. It's almost near boiling. In the mountains on the other side of Laodicea is the city of Colossae that was built around an ancient artesian well. And out of that well comes water that is not 40 degrees. It is ice cold. Laodicea is right in the middle of them. So Laodicea starts to make sense in Jesus' message. If you keep reading about his message to Laodicea, he tells them to not be what temperature? Lukewarm. Does it make sense now? Hot water? Cold water? Lukewarm. A context, a people, a place, a time, a moment. These 
are important truths for us, that we, we come from these different edges to be God's people together. I'm thankful for the increasing diversity of our church, but I wonder how we will worship in ways that include that diversity. Let's sing verse 2 of Hagen's hymn. gather out of struggle, we gather from different places, but we also gather with Jesus. After all, that's why we are called to be together. So we confess that Jesus is with us now and always. Can I get an amen? amen. Jesus is with us now and always. So why bother to gather for worship? If he's with us all the time, why bother coming together? You see, worship is a unique event. As remember, Ralph Martin said, it's the moment in which we ascribe God's supreme worth. That's why this hymn is a little confusing to people, because most hymnody is written as proclamation. In other words, they are songs about God. This hymn that you're singing this morning is a song to God. They're different. This song that's to God is to ascribe God's supreme worship. Jesus is the star of the show. So worship is not so much about Jesus being with us, because Jesus is with us all the time. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is about our choice to be with him. That's what worship is. It's about our choice to be with him. Thus, worship happens anywhere, anytime we choose to be with him. So do you need to be in this room? So I'm not in the room with you, but I'm worshiping. Do you get it? You don't have to be in the room to worship. You can be anywhere and worship. At any moment when we choose to be with God, we are in worship. This time of praise and worship is some, a time when we'll encounter something beyond our understanding and awareness. Friends, this is not a gathering of like-minded ideologues. This is not a gathering of like-minded ideologues. We are not supposed to think alike to be in this place. We choose to worship one God in this place. Amen. <laughs> this is a time and a space which we've set apart as holy time where we meet Jesus. You know, John's apocalypse in chapter 1 describes Jesus 
in vivid terms. Remember, John has a vision, right? And in the vision, what he sees is this one standing amid seven lampstands. And these lampstands are supposed to correlate to the, the menorah or the lamps that existed in the old Jewish tabernacle or temple. And Jesus stands in their midst. In this case, those seven lampstands represent the seven churches. And so the vision is trying to tell John and the readers that Jesus is not apart from the seven churches that are under persecution by Emperor Domitian. Where is he? He's right there in the middle of those seven churches with them as they endure that experience. It tells us that Jesus had white hair like the Ancient of Days, feet of bronze symbolizing strength, the sword from his mouth, that his word is spoken. Each of these symbols means something important. Listen to the podcast. But here is the key for us when we read this text. We must not read this book literally. That doesn't make it less true. If we were to read it literally, Jesus looks like that. The book reads like a cartoon. Don't let the literalism that we want to read the book impede you from its meaning. This is not a book to be read literally. It's a vision. It's a picture offered in the fullness of Jewish context and Roman culture. And if we fail to read it that way, we are led astray in so many dangerous ways. I'm thankful that in our church we have communion every week. It's a blessing. Jesus is present in our midst. He's central in our midst. But I wonder how we choose to be with Jesus in the other six hours, six days, and 23 hours when we're over there, and especially out there. Let's sing the third verse of Hagen's great hymn. Here we will take the wine and the water here we will take the bread of Here you shall call your sons and your daughters. Call us and you to be sorry. Give us to drink the wine of compassion. Give us to eat the bread that is Finally, we turn to how we are to gather in awe. Now, consider our times together in worship. Just think back of our times in worship. Eh, maybe not this year. You know, Some of you have been a part of this church 10, 20, 30. Yeah, there's some of you in this room 50 years this has been your home. When was the last time you were awestruck? When was the last time... In worship, you were awe-struck. You know, worship for many of us has become ceremonial and didactic. It's not. Worship is liturgical. That's the word we use for it. 
Liturgical literally means the work of people. So we're to gather here to bring our work of confession, our work of thanksgiving, our work of praise to the one to whom all praise is due. If you have been in authentic worship, it is filled with awe and wonder. I continue to wonder how churches continue to make worship feel like a funeral. It is to be filled with awe and wonder. I want you to know as the pastor and a part of our team, we try to pray and reflect and ask ourselves, how, how does God want to bring some awe and wonder this week? There are moments in which we've experienced it over this last year. I'm looking forward to more. When you read about this story in Revelation 1, John sees this great vision. And at the end of the text, did you hear what verse 17 said? He says, I fell down like a what? A dead man. He was awestruck by what he experienced in that vision. And there's a sense in which in our lives, we need to be awestruck in an equal way. To fall down on our face before God, filled with awe and amazing wonder. This is where we ascribe God's supreme worth. Friends, this is not a performance. This is not a ceremony. It's one of the reasons why I don't applaud the choir when they sing a fantastic anthem. It's not because I don't value and appreciate their giftedness, but I've then treated it just like a concert. Vastly more appropriate for me to say amen. Thanks be to God. Praise God for that proclamation. These are responses born out of praise and thanksgiving to God for the gifts of God we hear in our midst. Maybe on some occasion, every now and then, we should just be a little awestruck by what happens. I'm thankful for those moments where God has moved in our church, and I, I wonder when we'll see even more stories of transformation and power here at First Tree. Let's sing together the last verse of Hagen's hymn. from Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to 25 the writer of Hebrews says this let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people but encouraging one another and all the more 
as you see the day drawing near. So is Jesus returning, everyone? Yes. Is today another day closer to that? Will tomorrow be another day closer still? Should the Lord tarry? We must live like a people who worship a God who is imminently coming. Imminently. And the imminence of Jesus' presence with us now and in his second coming drive us to worship an almighty God who will consume all things in the cosmos in his greatness. Our choice to worship is not recreational. It is not a choice of availability. It is the compelling drive of our life. It is the way in which we ascribe God supreme worth. Gathering together is our choice to make. God is always with us, right? But this hour each week, whether you're online or here this morning, is our time to give thanks and praise for God for being with us, not for one hour out of seven days, but every hour out of seven days. We must praise and worship the one true God who gives us life, who is always present. And we must never be found as a people who take that for granted. For our ancestors over 2,000 years have bled and died even so that we might have this moment together in this room. And your brothers and sisters around the world, many of them are being persecuted this day because they cannot gather but yet they do. May we never take that for granted. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the ways in which you're always present with us. And you're present with us even at this table. Every week, we give thanks to you for being present in our lives. And Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We magnify your name this morning. For we have not gathered here for a religious ceremony. We have gathered here to offer praise to the one true living God through whom we have life. We thank you for being present with us 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. May our unending worship of you begin today. For how, God, could we ever thank you for your goodness to us, your saving grace in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.